Hello and welcome to the Forward Unto Dawn podcast. I'm David and I'm joined by my usual co-host Danny. Hi Leo. And this week uh, we have, uh, this episode, we have a special guest, uh, Masters. Hey everyone, how's it going? Masters uh, is the project lead and lead designer on SPV3. Well, I should, I should just let you introduce it. Yeah, so SPV3 is basically our own version of Halo Anniversary. It's Halo 1 with extended levels, new weapons, new missions, new enemies, uh, new features. Basically, everything the games have included up until Halo 5, plus things from the books. Oh, so a lot of cut ideas and never made it into the official games. We've all taken that, put it together, and try and. I think we did a pretty good job making a really cohesive, really fun mod that will hopefully provide people with uh, more entertainment than they get from an official Halo campaign. So why don't you walk us through a little bit of how the project came about and what the goals were? Well, the project really goes back to my first days of uh, modding Halo, which was 2004. Uh, people may not remember it right now, but back when Halo 2 came out, everybody was really happy for a week. And then people were just furious with the game. Uh, a lot of people felt it totally did a disservice to the franchise, you know, utter disappointment, more than just the, the ending and the early matchmaking woes. Like, a lot of people really thought it was a, an abomination of the first game. Um, and my 15-year-old self was one of those people, so I got this great idea, you know, why don't I just go on the PC and start messing with everything and... Uh, do my own Halo sequel. And we've never done our own Halo sequel, but what we've really done is transitioned almost on a parallel course to the actual games of how we thought the gameplay should uh, progress based on what was being introduced in official games, but still trying to retain a very Halo 1 feel and not necessarily throw the baby out with the bathwater, which was kind of the perception when Halo 2 came out. So um, one thing led to another when we eventually got the ability to edit the campaign. Uh, we did our first mod, SPV1, which was, took about six months to do. And it was kind of just a very goofy, you know, let's throw everything we ever wanted in uh, into the game. But back then, our capabilities were limited. And then we went to do it again and did a SPV2, which never came out um, for various reasons. And then several years ago, we got the whole team back together and decided to do what we wanted to do in SPV2. Uh, Right, and now we're about to finally release that project, which is SPV3. You mentioned that, uh, just for, for clarification's sake, you said that um, you weren't happy with, with Halo 2, and that was your main motivator to get involved. Um, do you have any specifics about what you would consider to be Halo 2's failings? Uh, well, it's, it's hard to sum it up so... Easily, because things are kind of a revolving door in that game. The story was really great that it opened up the world, but it also kind of got rid of this idea of exploration and discovering things as the characters did. And splitting up the having the Arbiter missions and missions on high charity, uh, the way they were done, really cut you off from a lot of the little things in the sandbox, which made the first game so interesting. And then it also had a varying lack of diversity as the game went on. Rather than Halo 1, which kind of compounds new content onto new content, 
you kind of have in Halo 2 where the content ramps up and then it goes back down to where you're only fighting two or three enemies in a mission. And then you're going back to fighting six enemies with human weapons after you didn't have any or you go whole missions where the only function of grenades is to stick people to plasma grenades and there's no more use of the frags. And it just kind of was a compounded experience that way. And then also the difficulty balancing was so off on Legendary. You know, it just made it unenjoyable for me to play. Uh, one of the, the new features that you've added to the campaign, there's multiple difficulty levels, right? Mm -hmm. So where does Halo 2 level difficulty uh, fall on your scale for SPV3? Um, well, difficulty, you know, difficulty is an interesting word because you can have really hard and fun and challenging, which is what I would describe Halo 1, and then you can have very hard and challenging, but nerve-wracking, which is how I would describe Halo 2, and Halo 5 to an extent as well, although I'm curious to see how the new balance update uh, fixes that. So we have our legendary difficulty, and that's designed as kind of the optimal way to play, just like Halo 1 was. If you look at Halo 1, uh, and this is a big, this is actually a perfect example of what really went wrong in Halo 2. Uh, in Halo 1, they had things timed so perfectly where if you rush an elite with a plasma rifle, you can get his shield to collapse just as your plasma rifle overheats. So you have this, uh, this tension that builds up in the fight, and then suddenly both characters have to break off. Your gun has, uh, has overheated. You, have, you can't use it anymore. The elite shield is down, and he wants to find cover. So then in that one moment, you know, you're thinking, what's that elite going to do? What's my secondary weapon? Am I close enough to hit him? Am I close? Can I land a grenade on him? Uh, do I have a pistol as my sidearm so I can pop him in the head real quick? Do I want to take out my assault rifle and try to chase him around that corner, even though your shield may have suffered damage? And that's kind of how a lot of Halo 1 encounters work, at least the, uh, the ones that I like. And it's kind of that idea of... Uh, tension that builds and breaks off, which has inspired a lot of SPV3. But if you look at Halo 2 uh, with the plasma rifle, you know, you don't have experiences like that. The elites kill you too quick for you to go in and get the melee most of the time. Uh, the damage is way off. So we try to keep that certain level of tension and the ability for the player to do a lot of damage and succeed if they take risks, but not make them feel like the game's ever being unfair or their time is being wasted, if that's a good way to explain it. But we also have uh, skulls, which we've added to the game, so you can play Legendary with different skulls on to uh, make it more difficult. And then we also have a new difficulty called Noble, so it gives you enemies that are a lot faster, think faster, shoot faster, they do everything faster. So it sounds a little bit like Halo 2, and in some ways it is, but the way that we've constructed our base gameplay, it's very challenging and it can be very difficult. But I don't think we've ever really hit that level of uh, frustrating, there's nothing I can do, there's only one way for me to go about this, which made Halo 2 so unenjoyable for me. Halo 1 was made, the studio didn't really know exactly where things were going to go. Uh, Halo 2, Bungie sort of blew open the universe, and since then, uh, 343 now has been sort of taking on that mantle going forward and uh, expanding the universe in a lot of interesting ways. And I think one of the most interesting things with SPV3 is that you're sort of backfilling a lot of that stuff. So can you talk about what elements you brought in from the wider universe? Yeah, sure. One of the big changes, and we get a lot of this on YouTube, is, you know, you guys have brutes. Brutes weren't around in Halo 1. They weren't there. 
And that's true. And the way we've designed, we've approached the story is the idea is that you can take uh, the book Halo the Flood and you can take the original game and erase them from the timeline and just plop SPV3 in instead. And that will fill in all the gaps. Everything will transition nicely from Halo Wars to Halo Reach, from Reach to SPV3, and then to Halo 2. So we have terminals scattered through the game that give you different characters' perspective. So, for example, you'll find uh, elites complaining about how the brutes have been integrated into the fleet uh, that attacked Reach and is now on Halo with you. And we make it clear that this is something that the prophets are demanding that's done. And there's kind of a little subplot through the terminals that explains that, you know, the prophets, you know, already have this idea in mind that they want the brutes in a position to take over one day. So they're there to infiltrate the uh, the armies and learn and observe the elites. It's kind of like in Star Wars, how they have the Jedi fighting alongside the clones. And then when the clones are given the order, they execute the Jedi. And it's kind of this already rolling motion that the prophets are setting into place, which is how we explain the brutes being there. And then we also have some new weaponry. Um, one of them being our Shredder, which is a older version of the Needler before the Covenant had been able to get homing working on it. So it's kind of almost like a spiker with a super combine, and that's what the Brutes will use. They also use Brute Plasma Rifles, which we uh, discuss as an older version of the, uh, of the Plasma Rifle the Elites use. Uh, unfortunately, with one of the Cannon Fodder updates, they kind of gave their own explanation for why the Brutes have their own Plasma Rifles. So I don't know if we're going to have to adjust that. But that was kind of the thinking there. And then also elements from the books, things that characters were thinking. You know, whether it be Lieutenant Haverson from First Strike, you'll find some of his uh, data pad entries scattered through the campaign. And he'll kind of talk about what they're finding on Halo and what the human, what humans already knew about the Forerunners or what they suspected. Uh, things of that nature. There's uh, some diary entries by Keys. So he'll talk about Miranda and Halsey and Noble Team and the events of Reach uh, and those sort of things. And then as far as 343's lore goes, I don't want to talk too much about what we're doing for the second half of the campaign because that's still uh, under heavy development. But there is going to be some influences from what they've done in there and you'll be able to see what Guilty Spark is thinking and putting into motion. He doesn't have any Prometheans available to him, but he does have Sentinel Factories. So uh, his knowledge of the Prometheans will play a slight role as we get into the second half of the game as well. It seems that um, it seems like you're taking you're cherry picking from from the franchise as a whole to basically backfill in what what should have been technically speaking from a from a lore perspective should have been in the original game, but. Logically, it, it wasn't developed then, so you're, you're basically backporting a lot of stuff and put it in, in the place, which is, considering considering where the the universe is right now, it was never meant to... I don't think it was ever meant to get to this point, because you couldn't have imagined it playing Halo 1. So it seems as if you've, you've extensively done your best to try and fit in what you think would have been being that story experience and gameplay experience. At first, whenever I was approaching this, I, I've watched some of your, your YouTube trailers and whatnot. I do, I, I've, I've noticed little small details here and there, but it seems like you've really 
really gone out of your way <laughs> to put mildly to to include almost everything. That's that, that's even even a little bit relevant. Like you're you're talking about putting in diary entries from characters from First Strike. Like that's that sounds like, that sounds almost ideal, actually. Yeah. If, yeah, well, I mean, those First Strike characters... First Strike is my favorite piece of Halo fiction. Um, so there is going to be a little bit more than just diary, event, uh, diary entries from them eventually uh, when we get to the second half of the game. So uh, that's still under heavy development, but yeah, that's like one of my favorite books. I thought it was incredibly well-written. Um, you know, I remember racing out to the bookstore the morning it came out because I just couldn't wait to hear what happened to Chief, you know, seconds after the end of the first game. So uh, I have a lot of love for, uh, you know, Nyland's books, and uh, there'll definitely be a little bit more from those than just, uh, you know, diary entries from them. Polanski, uh, I actually, I don't even know how to say her name, but, th- but their, uh, their pilot that they have in that, she's actually a voiced character. She uses a uh, pelican in the mission Halo, because we have new areas there, and we needed another pilot because we don't have access to the voice actor for... Uh, Fohammer. So she has a little cameo there. She drops off troops and lets you know where the Covenant are and where she's spotting other Marines who have survived. So she's actually a character that you'll hear talking to you. Super cool. Um, to clarify, all the all the terminal stuff are text like Halo Three, right? Yeah. Well, um, to be honest, while I love I have loved the idea of uh, terminal entries, I don't think any of the games have necessarily done it well. And I mean, that's part of what we do, is we look at every game. What worked, what didn't work, what did we like, how could it be improved, where did they nail it, where did they drop the ball in it completely. And when it comes to terminals, uh, they were really cool in Halo 3, but ultimately people just went to find them because they knew they could get armor and achievements from them. I don't think many people, outside of the really, really heavy lore people, you know, bother to read them while they're playing the game. They just kind of want to get back to shoot stuff. They don't want to hit A through, you know, about, you know, even a minute of text when you're playing a shooter game is a lot. So they were kind of something that, you know, a very small, dedicated group looked at, I felt. Um, Same thing kind of went for Reach. They were very hard to get um, unless you were really hunting for them. To find them, the average player never even knew they existed. And then Halo 4 had the problem where they were kind of hidden off the path, but they were so integral to the story that you almost had to find them in order to really appreciate what they were doing with the didact and who this character was and what the backstory was. Um, And then 5, when you pick them up, they talk over the other characters talking. So, um, yeah, I didn't think that was a very good solution either. But I did like how they had multiple perspectives. Uh, we started our terminals before it was announced what Halo 5 was doing with their data logs. I guess technically they're not terminals in Halo 5. So each terminal um, or data pad that you pick up, it's maybe about, it's like, it fills up your screen and when you press enter it goes away. So they're short. You know, they're basically bite-sized paragraphs and they display different text based on what difficulty you're playing. So there's a reason to play on Heroic, Legendary, and Noble. And then um, we've, tried, we've tried to do four or six terminal entries to find per map. Basically, every faction gets two terminal entries uh, per level, except there's no Forerunner 1 on Pillar of Autumn, Truth of Reconciliation, just because there's no Forerunner you know, structures. There's nothing there. Um, but So on Pillar of Autumn, you'll find two logs from Keys. You'll find one from the USANA. Um, 
you know, stealth intelligence elite that was mentioned in uh, The Flood. And then there's another random elite uh, whose thoughts you'll get to hear as well. And then when you get the Halo, you find, you know, what Johnson's thinking as he's on the ring and see things from his perspective. You'll get to see what the Brutes are thinking as they land. You know, an elite's perspective as he gets to finally, uh, you know, put his hooves back on the earth of a Halo ring where he's always wanted to be all his life and things of that nature. So it takes maybe about 15 seconds to read one uh, before you're back to the action. And it pauses everything in the background, too. And the other games of co-op, that was kind of a problem because your buddy would be, you know, looking at a three-minute-long video of uh, a terminal entry while you're still trying to, you know, run around and try to stay alive. So uh, that's pretty much how we've done them. Yeah, that's really cool. So in that way, do you kind of see... Because you, you have, um, you have uh, armor abilities, for instance. You have sprint. You have the, the data pads scattered around. You have... You have the brutes. You have uh, things like vehicle boarding. So you kind of see. Do you regard SPV three as sort of like a director's cut, almost? Obviously not done by Bungie, but sort of the the fan edit after the fact. Yeah, I would see it that way. I know a lot of people get upset about retcons, but my opinion has always been that Halo has been retconning since Halo two. Uh, you know, there was this whole idea in Halo one that you know the Covenant think Halo is a weapon. And the flood get unleashed. And then in Halo 2, they tell you it's this great journey. And there's some ways that you can, you know, explain that. But the original intention was just that there doesn't seem that there was any idea of this great journey when they were working on Halo 1. Mm-hmm. You know, and then Halo 3, you know, never mind the character assassination of truth and him turning into a totally different character. You know, Halo 3 kind of fuzzy things up like, oh, now the brutes all have armor, but they never had it before and their own weaponry, like, where was that in Halo 2? And the answer is, oh, well, it was all like in a shed somewhere. They hadn't made it yet, <laughs> even though it took place like one month before. Like the timeline has never really added up. And obviously Reach doesn't help to that. And, uh, you know, 4 had its issues of that too, although I'm a little bit more forgiving on 4 because it was 343 three, trying to set their narrative for, uh, you know, for years to come. So I was a little bit more okay with that. So we're not afraid to retcon things if we think it makes the story better and makes thing and makes sense to the average person who's reading it. Because now you go back to uh, Halo One and you're like, oh, like, well, where, like, where are the brutes? And like, this fleet came from Reach. Where are the skirmishers? Like, there's story explanations, but I don't think necessarily they all sound necessarily believable. And they never could, given that Halo Reach came out you know, almost ten years after the original, and these things hadn't been invented yet. Mm-hmm. So, do you have a personal favorite of sort of your your retcon or canon smoothing that you've added in SPV3? Um, I really like our subplot with the Brutes. I really like that one. That was something where it's neat to see how, like, we always hear so much about how these species hate each other and how they're always at war. But other than maybe uh, a few lines and contact harvest and first strike, you never really get to see how these creatures would have coexisted in the covenant for what I believe it was like, what, uh, they've been part of the covenant for almost a hundred years, right? The brutes or even longer, but it had been a substantial amount of time. It'd been a, you know, it wasn't like they joined yesterday. They had been around since harvest. So they had at least been around since the begin beginning of the human covenant war. 
you know, so how exactly did these two species who hated each other so much in all the fiction we see, how did they actually coexist in the Covenant for all those years that we never really have seen? The, none of the fiction has really ever explored it. You get it in Contact Harvest, and then they just go silent until Halo 2. So that was a cool aspect to, uh, to explore. <laughs> yeah, cool. You mentioned earlier, you know, about how back when the first game came out, you know, what were the plans for the story and the franchise? Uh, we do a lot of digging into exactly what was planned, and we find a lot of things while we tear through these missions and make our edits that kind of lifts part of the veil. And, of course, there's also the Cortana letters, which were, which is kind of interesting because now that finally seems to kind of pay it off now that we have, um, you know, Cortana as the antagonist with uh, Halo 5. So it's interesting how they kind of had things planned out, but there's stuff left in the original game about, uh, you know, there's dialogue for the Marines fighting the Sentinels and fighting the Flood, which they briefly do in, at the end of 343 Guilty Spark. But there's things like that which are always interesting. Uh, probably more interesting is Bungie's original intent with the Flood. Uh, I've been able to speak to some people who worked on the first games who were able to shed the light on that a little bit. And we're going to be using some of that in the second half of the game as well when we tackle the Flood. We also have real-time infections, like in Halo 3. So if an infection form latches onto a Covenant, it can transform it. So we're definitely going to be doing uh, Jackal forms, and we're going to do something with the Grunts, even though the Carrier forms were intended to be the Grunts' uh, infected form originally. If you actually look at the original asset, the original model for the uh, Carrier forms, you'll see they have little Grunt legs at the bottom of them. Which is cool. Yeah. Yeah, and that later got retconned into being, uh, well, they just don't have enough biomass. But that's kind of, I believe that's where the whole uh, exploding function of the carrier form came from because of all the methane that the grunts have. Yeah, so things like that we dig into. We try to uh, flesh out things of that nature. So you'll also see, maybe it's not in story, but you'll see it in gameplay things that were originally wanted to be done in the game that are now finally reality after 15 years of after being cut mm-hmm. you get to you have the time and the effort now to do some of the stuff that Bungie just didn't have the time and resources to do at the time they were making it which is kind of cool yeah well i mean i don't think people really appreciate just how pressed for time and just you know just how that game came together they really worked on it for maybe nine or eleven months i have the number somewhere in my computer about exactly you know a whole timeline of the game's development um, but no they they were really flying by the seat of their pants with it what about the chances of uh, the the flora and fauna that were cut from the original game's design there yeah there's a line of dialogue about that yeah we haven't done any of that uh the mission halo is now kind of a uh, alpine almost uh, Northwest-type environment. But uh, we have that dialogue, and we could certainly do something in 343 Guilty Spark with it. Although, uh, so many people didn't seem to like how they made uh, did that with uh, Anniversary. I'm not sure if we want to go down that route. But um, we certainly can if we want to. So in terms of Halo Anniversary, there were ways that you sort of designed SPV3 I guess, in contrast to that? Um, in some areas, yeah. I mean, we're both making the game look better, but you know, I don't think people really want to see a version of Truth and Reconciliation that looks better than the original, but not as good as Anniversary. 
So we do some pretty big thematic changes. Uh, Truth of Reconciliation now takes place during a snowstorm, during a uh, blizzard. Uh, Halo, instead of being you know a very neutral colored environment like it was in the original game, uh, and it was yeah. Well, Halo was very neutral colored in the original game. In Anniversary, it was very warm with like pink sunlight uh, coming down on the valleys, and we've kind of go- gone for a much colder you know, misty, you know, misty, ancient. It's almost like the box uh, box art for that old game, Mist, which uh, most viewers probably won't remember. Oh, I remember um, it. I remember it. Yeah, like, kind of just, you know, very green, green, like just lots of green and wood and trees and mist and overcast, so we went with that for it. Truth and Reconciliation takes place uh, near dawn or sunset, depending on... Which one you want to call? I guess it's Dawn. So, yeah, we've certainly gone with uh, some thematic changes. The only one that really didn't get an overhaul was Assault in the Control Room. And when we were doing SPV2, we had the way we had laid out the new areas to explore, we started the mission off being almost like a grassy type of Windows XP. This is the best way I can describe it. You know, very, very green, very open plains with trees. And as you'd get through the mission and get closer to the control room, you'd see patches of snow uh, start to appear on the mission. Uh, but that just wasn't feasible this time around. Um, and also, we didn't want to lose the ice patches because those are so much fun to slide the vehicles across. So that was kind of a gameplay decision as well. So that's the only mission that doesn't really have a totally new um, theme to it. But all the lighting is redone. There's a nice icy blue chill to the valleys. And there was a problem in the original game when they did the lighting where the shadows outside would be too dark if they made the interiors lit too much by all the lights that they had placed on the geometry. So the interiors now are much darker, but the lights are all blown out. The oranges are more orange and stronger. The blues uh, have stronger distance on the lights, the yellows. So when you go into the interior sections, rather than kind of being almost whitewashed blue, like they were in the original, uh, without much contrast, now there's like lots of nice shadows and popping colors, and it looks really nice. Yeah. I was kind of afraid people would forget what it looked like and just be like, I don't see anything different here. But so far, everyone, even without being told, they all noticed the lighting changes, which is really cool. Yeah, I'm pretty happy with it. It's probably my favorite mission, actually, out of the uh, out of the whole mod. This this release has uh, six missions that goes through uh, the first um, six missions. Tec- tec- uh, technically, the first five missions of the original game, and then they also have our team's total revamp of the silent photographer. Yes, yeah, sorry. So that's kind of... Um, so basically, you play through, you get to silent photographer, and then you play silent photographer... You get to silent photographer, and then you play through silent photographer again, but it's a whole new layout with all different con- with a bunch of different content, like the original... Uh, the original shadow that was shown at E3 2000 makes an appearance in the mod, and it's kind of the the forerunner or forebearer to the Spectre, and then later the Prowler. Uh, so we have that, and that's something that you know you get a lot of interaction with on that mission. So it's a whole new mission of the story of the original, and then you get to assault in the control room, and we're saving you know everything with the flood and the Sentinels as almost like its own sequel to the mod. Rather than kind of, you know, we got to finish this game really quick type feeling that the original game gave you. Yeah, so SPV3 Part 2. That's what, that's what we call it. <laughs> well, you've been working on this for how long now? Well, if you really want to, I mean, 
it's almost easier now to say that it's been 10 years <laughs> because the release date is actually the 10 year anniversary of releasing SPV1. But of course, a portion of that was the portion of that time was working on SPV2, and then we all kind of quit Halo modding for a while, and then we all got back together, and then we kind of restarted about halfway through it. Um, so, I mean, it's 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 there's so many things that have gone into this, whether it be reverse engineering of the original game or people who have developed add-ons for the engine. You know, it's really almost a ten-year process to make this happen. Yeah, and so when you uh... Obviously, when this gets released, and then when uh, part two gets released, what do you see as being next? Um, well, the part two, we're doing something a little bit different. We've integrated extended areas to uh, several of the levels, and in the end, it's been a really big headache. Um, you have to worry about pace. You have to worry about pacing with them, uh, voice acting. Sometimes the missions, uh, the amount of scripting you have to do starts to overload the game. Because we have a lot of features that aren't really done the way they should be. They're done using mission scripting in ways it was never designed to. Um, so that's been a problem. So we're actually doing new missions in the second half of the game. One of them is called None Left Behind, which will, make, which will bring players back to Alpha Base and uh, the mission Halo. Um, after the Flood have been released and the Covenant have set up... Uh, anti-air guns around uh, the alpha base that the Marines have established. And then we have one called the Commander, um, which is going to bring players back to the silent photographer once again. I can't wait for that part. Yeah, I mean, that, when, it's funny because people, like, hey, one of the criticisms Halo 1 gets is that it's too repetitive. They make you backtrack through these environments. But when you talk to people who are really fans of the original game, you know, everybody seems to actually like that to an extent. To betrayal, you know, assault and control is this mission with tanks and vehicles and marines and you know banshees soaring out of the sky that you're blowing out of the air with rocket launchers, and then you get the two betrayals and it's like a total horror story. Like you're there, you're alone, it's desolate. There's battles going off in the distance. You know, you go into these rooms that you know from before, but they're you know, there's flood rushing down the hallways. Same thing with keys. You know, what used to be, you know, an onslaught against wave after wave of Covenant is now the Covenant running away from waves and waves of other enemies. So we always thought that was cool. So we're actually excited to revisit some of these areas and do new twists. And as the game goes on, there's new elements of the sandbox. Um, you know, there, it puts whole different twists on it as well. Like, you never get to roll around the level Halo in a, in a Scorpion tank. But we let you ro roam around it in a grizzly tank and a wraith tank um, when you go back. It also kind of helps patch up that story hole of, ah, well, I guess we're going to blow up the halo ring with all the marines on it. You know, that was never really... I mean, it's implied they all died due to the flood, but you never really get, uh, never really get an answer. Just left dust and echoes back on the ring and hightailed out of there. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's funny. There's things that people never notice. Like I always laugh every time I play uh, Reach when you uh, when you're on the sh Covenant ship with George, and if you keep your Marines alive, they're all kind of standing around there, and George is like, "I'm gonna have to blow it up," like, and he throws you out of the ship, and you see it blow up. And one time, I'm just like, "But what about all the Marines I saved?" <laughs> it's like it's like they couldn't press the button. I think that's that's the. If you're a Halo campaign guy who likes saving Marines, you have to 
rectify the fact that it's all pointless. Yeah. <laughs> like they, they they never they never follow you all the way, or usually you just kind of have to leave them, and they all get killed by the end, no matter what. Yeah. I mean, I don't, I don't, I mean, I like to, you know, um, be a nitpicker about the games. But you know, you play them, you you enjoy them, and then you notice something funny like that, and you're like, ah, well, well. So it's nice to kind of try to get that out, you know, fix that stuff, even if people don't actively notice it. There was a uh, good interview with the directors of uh, Winter Soldier, Captain America Winter Soldier, where they were talking about how they tried to, um, what's the website called? Uh, it's a YouTube series, um, Honest Trailers. Yeah, Honest Trailers, where they talk about trying to make the... Uh, their movie honest trailer proof and that's a term that they would throw around the writer's room and that's kind of what we've done as well like when people go and play and they think oh well that shouldn't happen why did that happen we want there to be an answer and we want it to be um we want it to be visible and actually a really good example of that is there was a very old theory there's two actually two very old theories uh one was that the chief is responsible for releasing the flood because when you go into the silent cartographer security station and deactivate the security system, the minute you walk out, you lose contact with Captain Keys. So there was a lot of speculation back in the day, well, the, is Chief responsible for releasing the flood? Because we know that humans are the only ones that can really activate um, the important systems on Forerunner structures. So, uh, I mean, you, you see it in 3, you see it in, uh, you see it in uh, Halo Wars, uh, you see it in Halo and Halo 4. So uh, that was one of the things where we kind of, you know, we have a little subplot that will go through the terminal. So after, you'll see 343 talk about how the chief has deactivated the security system. And we even changed the, uh, the string entry, the text. So when you undo, when you hit the, when you press X to, uh, to disable the security system, it says press X to disable Halo security system. And then there's another one on Assault Control Room where they kind of have those double blast doors and it's almost like an airlock. I was reading that that last valley where you see the frozen waterfall, uh, one of the potential reasons they designed it that way was that if there ever was a flood outbreak, they could flood and freeze the control. They could release the water and freeze it and basically flood uh, the area outside the control room so the flood could never get in. So we plan on having a terminal that kind of talks a little bit about the environment, how the envir what the function of these environments is in all the Forerunner areas, which I guess some people may not like because it takes away some of the mystery of wondering what these like giant beams are shooting out of the towers on the Mission Halo. But we have little backstories for people who care enough about to find the terminals. Well, but in a way, this is sort of your... This is an expression of you and your team's sort of answers for those things. It's it's not really... You're obviously not replacing the original game, but you're saying, hey, like this is what we think that this makes sense here and here. And so it's really just... Right. You're, you have a playable version of your own fan theories. Yeah, but the way we've integrated them, it, it our own fan theories don't, uh, don't retcon anything done in the later games, per se. You know, when you, when you look at it, it's like, oh, well, that makes sense. Like, you know, this, 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 this could be why it was designed this way. Or maybe that's why they, uh, they did this or whatever. I'm not going to uh, 
address the fan theories that all said that Cortana was evil by the end of the first game and was trying deliberately to kill off Echo 419 and all that stuff. I never heard that one. <laughs> that, one that one was my... That's the one I remember most from uh, the, the Halo story page was that the the speculation over what uh, the hitchhikers might be escaping convicts uh, chapter line referred to and the idea that it was actually Cortana had gotten changed uh, by being in the uh, in the control room uh, and that ultimately she was going to be the big bad in Halo 2. Yeah, I mean, the, the whole Cortana being uh, being the antagonist has been something that's really been led up to almost since, one, it more so came to light in First Strike when she talks about, you know, finding the Coven AI and dealing with her own questions about her own rampancy and wondering if she had extended herself too far. Um, and I was really bummed in Halo 2 when that was never... You know, it's kind of like, no, no, she's normal. Don't worry about her. Then she's with the grave mind. And then it's like, oh, man, now she's, like, really screwed up. And then once you find her, she's like, yeah, no, I'm fine. I'm pretty much okay. So I was really, I really loved in 4 how they finally paid off on that storyline of her questioning her own mortality and her own effectiveness. Okay. Danny, you have anything you want to say? You're silent. Anything you want to ask? I'm, I'm just in awe of this project. It, it seems like the ideal fan project because there's... These are sort of things that you know will not be addressed. Everything from the lore to gameplay additions that you just couldn't get addressed in in a proper commercial environment. But in terms of fans, you can take as long as you want as these guys, as you have, to do it right and to put in the content that you want to see in there and not have to be bound by by the restrictions that would normally bind a lot of developers or anyone in that kind of position from doing what what some fans would like, you know what I mean? I'm I'm just thinking, is there is there anything that you may have wanted to include in this project that you haven't? Um I mean things do have to get cut. We had a really we had two guns which I missed. The first was supposed to be uh, a Covenant sniper rifle. One of the other things I didn't like about Halo 2 was I felt the the uniqueness of certain weapons kind of was lost. Especially when you got to the beam rifle and the carbine. The beam rifle is a human sniper rifle, but with heat. And the carbine is almost like the Halo 1 pistol, but green and a rifle. And obviously it doesn't play mythical, but you know, you pull the trigger, a single headshot projectile comes out. You reload the gun, you know, is that base is basically the carbine in a nutshell. So we wanted to do something different for the beam rifle, for the Covenant sniper rifle and not make it a beam rifle. So the idea would be loaded like a shotgun, putting in huge needle shards. And when you shot someone in the head, it would kill them. And then it would explode and detonate their grenades if they were an unshielded enemy. But uh, ultimately, we just didn't have the time to finish it, even though we had it fully implemented in all the encounters. And then the other one was trying to bring back the Halo 1 gravity rifle, which was a uh, funny thing. Well, I mean, I'm not sure how many, how many viewers would know this, but uh, on the Xbox and the PC version, uh, they actually shipped it with the gravity rifle weapon uh, still referenced in some of the map files, but it was an incomplete version of it. It, it shot out, like, uh, projectiles that caused fire on certain objects. Like, it, it's, it was not what anything near... Uh, what they would have wanted for it as a weapon. 
but we kind of wanted to take this idea and we wanted to use our four grenade types and make the gravity rifle be a grenade launcher that could take the grenades that you hold that you hold in your inventory. So you'd be able to fire out grenades like almost like the railgun in Halo 4, but you could you you could select a sticky grenade, you know, a plasma grenade, a frag grenade, uh, one of our fuel rod grenades or one of our gravity grenades and you'd be able to load different guns into your weapon like that. So that's one we just couldn't get it we just couldn't pull it off in the Halo 1 engine. But that's probably the one weapon I wish we could have pulled off that we didn't do. Um, in terms of missions, we did want to do something for Truth and Reconciliation to give it a new area. The problem with that mission is that the way it's designed, uh, it's very difficult, if not impossible, to add a new area of the exterior part, which is you know a small part of the overall mission. You spend maybe 25% of the mission outdoors sniping and the other 75% inside the ship. So early on, we decided that we weren't going to do any mission extensions for it. But then when we kind of started to learn more about uh, the mission Covenant ship that was cut from Halo 2, where you'd be able to go around uh, the ship and destroy it from the inside with a Wraith tank, we wanted to do something like that. But ultimately, we decided the resources were better spent on more unique environments and not even more space inside the Covenant ship. Especially since if you did that, you would still have the rest of the mission to complete, and it wouldn't be like a breather space in the middle of the mission, based on where we knew we could include it. Yeah, those are probably the the three things that I wanted to do that we uh, didn't. And I would always like to have more armor abilities, but that was also a technical limitation where the more we added, the less stable the game would become and it could crash. So Yeah, okay. Well, anything else you wanted to tell us about the project um nothing really just you can check us out on our subreddit and follow me on twitter and we're releasing on june 25th oh and it's free as long as you have halo pc installed yep and if you're on pc and you haven't messed around with uh custom edition stuff before uh you really should um it was something actually i hadn't really uh messed with much until uh, we were writing about custom content for uh, our Community Evolved Kickstarter, but there's a ton of stuff out there, and it's pretty amazing what the community's come up with. Uh, and your project is just the latest example. Yeah, there's like, I mean, I mean, while I love our product, if you haven't checked the custom edition, there's literally so much to check out there. Uh, unfortunately, the multiplayer, I don't think, has really aged that well. It was designed for 56K modems, but there's still a lot of really cool maps you can check out as big as the Forge community may be, the Halo Custom Edition community probably has just as much stuff. And in some ways, it's even more interesting because things could be created from scratch with the original developer tools. Um, you know, you're seeing entire levels constructed from literally nothing, all own textures. You know, there's even Zelda in Halo, there's Sonic, uh, Marathon, uh, Metroid Prime. Like, these are all things that, you know, you, you, while Forge is great for designing levels, you can never pull this stuff off of Forge. So there's just so many different things to explore. And even other campaign add-ons, too. We're not the only campaign for uh, Custom Edition as well. So, if you've been... Yeah, there's a Lumoria project, or Takedown. There's tons of them out there. <laughs> yeah, so, uh, if you're wishing you had a little bit more campaign... On your Xbox One or your 360, you just download it for the PC. 
And it all works with the controller too. So if you're not a keyboard and mouse person, personally, I prefer a controller when it comes to Halo. Uh, you can just plug in your Xbox One controller and uh, configure your controls and go ahead and play just like you were on Xbox. All right. So thanks, Masters, for coming on and talking about your project. No, well, thanks for having me. I'm not going to be uploading that many videos as we get near release, just because I'm going to be busy making sure everything works. Um, but you can also follow me on YouTube. It's MasterZ1337. And then my Twitter is the same thing, but with an S. Because somebody took the Z, the Z handle uh, before I could get it. Uh, and you can find more episodes on forwardintodon.com or subscribe via iTunes. Uh, and you can also find episodes on YouTube at forwarddon. Show notes will be at forwardintodon.com slash fudcast18. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you guys next time.